Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. I had a pastor friend of mine say from the pulpit one time, if you can't preach after that, you don't belong in the business. And guys, wow, that was amazing. You know, it's one of those rare opportunities when you feel like the Spirit of God's already been in a place. And, you know, worshiping with you today, I can tell the Spirit of God is here. And we're going to talk about how to love God with your whole heart today. And for those of you who who have not met us, my wife Erica's in the second row. Stand up for a minute. I'm sorry. It is in our marital contract that I'll never do this. So if you hear about us getting divorced, that's what happened. That is our sweet little Gwendolyn in that uh, that carrier right there who is sleeping and should remain so for the next 35 minutes for Daddy. Thank you, darling. Appreciate it. Um, we love you all. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Andy, wherever you are, for giving me this opportunity. It's awesome. If you don't believe in the grace of God, then, you know, how does a girl like that marry a guy like me? I have no idea. Explain that without Jesus interfering. I mean, come on. But we are in Matthew 6, verse 33 today. We'll be in Matthew 6, verse 33. And just because this seems like a good time, rock and roll kind of crowd, we're going to start in verse 25, just for kicks and giggles. Kind of set up shop in verse 33, if you will. And I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version. It says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food, or is your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor do they gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add one single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and in tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek ye first, and this is where we're going to spend our time this morning, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for the things of itself, for the troubles of its own. I have a few questions for us to ponder this morning. And when you talk about seeking God with your whole heart, and you, you preach on that, and you, and you decide that that is the word that God has told you to bring to his people this morning. It is with much fear and trepidation that you do so, because you learn very quickly that you are not a leader, you are a learner in this pursuit. So I have some questions for you. What defines you? What are your driving, motivating factors in life? What has you completely captivated? What has you completely under its control? What gives you joy? What gives you peace? Where do you go to find your comfort? These are all questions that define our lives. And when it comes to, you know, taking these philosophy classes at college, when it comes to 
even the minor league philosophers at Starbucks, and I know that we all know who those are, we all have our own opinions. We all have our own direction. So what do we build our life on? What is our defining life's ambition? And one of the things that we learn as you go throughout the Christian life is this. We don't have to guess at a lot of the things the world guesses at. Because the world and those, by the world I mean people who are unregenerate, people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, have not given themselves completely to him. The world has a lot of answers for questions that just don't match up. There's a lot of disconnect. And everybody is guessing. Everybody has this vision of life that's supposed to work out. And then they go through life and they succeed and they find their way. And for some reason, for some reason, guys, they're still miserable. And why is that? And the reason that that takes place in their life is because they have yet to have a contact with our sweet Jesus. The reason that they cannot make life work for them is because they have nothing to base that on. In Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added to you. And if you look at the list of things that are going to be added to us, it is quite significant. You know, don't think about what you're going to eat. Don't think about what you're going to wear. You know, don't think about where you're going to live. And, you know, everything that we think about in life, these are the things of life. These are the things that make up our daily pursuit. You know, I don't know about you. I'm in the ministry. I love my job. I don't know about y'all, but I don't get up in the morning and, you know, pay a fare to ride the work ride. You know, I'm not getting up and buying a ticket to go to work. In in order for me to work for you, you have to pay me. And when people who don't know Jesus go out and get a job, that is their primary motivating factor is, is the things of life. You know, I need to pay for this. I need to pay for that. And I'd like to be handsomely and generously compensated for my services. Amen. Isn't that right? (laughs) Hey, I get it. I'm down with that. You know, if anybody wants to write me a check or give me a Mercedes before we leave here today, whatever. We can make that work for you. But God says that as his children, we are called to a higher level. We are called to be missionaries in this world no matter what we do. And so one of the things that we need to understand is that this world is not getting more Christian, it is getting less. We are trending in the wrong direction. We have a people, especially America, I can't speak for anywhere else, you know, I I can speak for Lowburn, Georgia, that's my, my, my sphere of influence. In Lowburn, we are trending in the wrong direction. We're trending more towards the world. We're trending more towards a world system. We're not trending towards godliness. We're not trending towards a peaceable relationship with Jesus Christ as a culture. And I think that the church needs to stop and say, why is that? Why is that? Is it because our values match the world's Monday through Friday, and then we come in on Sunday morning, and we have a good Holy Ghost good time rock and roll kind of thing from, you know, 10.30. For me, it's 10.30 to 11.30, so that's my frame of reference. But 10.45 to noon, 
And then, you know, we get our good Greek word. We have somebody come up here and, and, and say things that are very interesting from the word of God. We raise our hands and worship. But Monday morning, it doesn't affect us. Monday morning, it has no impetus on our life. There is no radical transformation. There is no God in our daily lives. We are professing Christians, church, but we are practical atheists. We live a life that could not be easily recognized from the lives of the world around us. And that's where Matthew 6.33 comes in. That's where that Holy Ghost revival concept comes in of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so let's look at a few things that hold us back. Let's look at a few things that, that might might be issues that give us pause about following God, about being completely and totally sold out to Jesus Christ so that we are people who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And when it, it comes to things that hold us back, There is no better rationale, and God doesn't give us a better reasoning for this, than Luke 9, verse 57. He said, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me, but Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said to him, I will follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Really, there are two things that hold us back from following God completely. And they are people and possessions. And the thing about people is that it's very easy to start worshiping them and start valuing their opinion above that of what God would have us to do. And it is very, very easy to make them your life. And one of the things that you come across is that multiple times in Scripture it talks about loving people and serving people and really just dedicating your life to them. But the Bible talks about worshiping God and God alone. And when you are stuck in that trap of being a people pleaser and wanting to have those relationships and value those times of intimacy more than you value the times of intimacy you have with God, then that's when it becomes a problem. And, you know, when it comes to your family, family is an awesome thing. I've recently acquired one. It's great. It's fantastic, and it's been one of the best things that has ever happened in my life. It's probably the best thing apart from the saving grace that God has given to me. And yet, when Jesus says, follow me, the guy says, I I need to go say bye to my family first. And he said, don't look back from the plow. I mean, wow. He wouldn't even give this individual the opportunity to go tell his family what was going on in his life. No. No. Because his family wasn't the object of worship. Jesus is. Jesus is everything. Jesus is our object of worship. Jesus is our all in all. And until we come to grips with that, even the Christian life is not going to make sense. The Christian life is not going to have 
the opportunity for the intimacy that God would have us for, and all we have to do is surrender to him. The irony of the Christian life is this, is that we win when we surrender, and we live when we die. There's nothing else in life that's like that. We win when we surrender, and we live when we begin to die. The process of death is what God has given us. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, he's giving us what it looks like to die to yourself. You know, imagine Jesus comes along and he says, follow me. And you're looking at him and you're saying, all right, where are we going? He said, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. Follow me. Okay, let me go talk to my family. No, no, follow me. What are you going to do for me? You know, how are we going to live? And he says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I don't have a place I call home. I'm just the son of God here to deliver a message to die for you, and I want you to follow me. What is our reaction? Nothing in us. No, There is no logical reason to say that that is a great life strategy. You will never find a life coach that's going to tell you to follow this guy. But he is oh so worth it. Because this is where peace and comfort comes. This is where our empowerment comes. This is where we find out who we are by finding out who he is. And, you know, we have bookstores that are full of self-help books that help you try to figure out who you really are. You can take personality tests and skills profiles and all this stuff. But God says, I know who you are because I know who I've called you to be. I've called you to be a follower of mine. And so when it comes to following Jesus, please do not let people get in the way. Please do not allow yourself to become so obsessed with the opinions of others and doing the smart thing because somebody might think you're dumb or might doubt your life's plan if you follow Jesus. Because I'll be honest with you, there are some people in here, and statistics bear this out, that have been called to missions and have not responded because life is just too good here. There's some of y'all who are called to help a church planner or called to help to be church planters or called into some type of full-time vocational service But life is too good here. And what is my wife going to think? What is my husband going to think? What is my community group going to think when I tell them that, you know, I'm quitting a a six-figure job to go chase the dream of being a missionary in Africa? What, you know, what are mom and dad going to think? What are in-laws going to think? The old adage, I never should have let you marry my daughter comes into vogue. I mean, you know, what's... (laughs) What are, you, what are you talking about? You're going to take her halfway around the world and raise your children in a mud hut for the glory of Jesus. And i got to tell you, you won't be happy, you won't find peace and joy in this life until you follow God's plan without hesitation or without reservation. And we as people of God have become obsessed with the opinions of other people. We have that problem in the church. And what makes it worse, what makes it more insidious, is that not only have we become obsessed with the opinions of our fellow believers of the body of Christ, but we've become obsessed with the opinion of the world. When unregenerate people tell you that you're not doing the right thing and you're doing it for God, maybe you are. Maybe we we have come to a point in time in our culture where we have to stop thinking, 
I need to be perceived as smart and as relevant and start thinking I need to be perceived as godly and as a person of worth and consequence for the glory of Jesus Christ. Maybe we need to reprogram ourselves and start thinking in that direction. Because i got to tell you, the, the world is not going to get any better. The world's not going to get any better until we come to the conclusion that Jesus and Jesus alone is worth following and that the opinions of other people, while they might be valuable, they are not God and they do not deserve to be worshipped and we cannot worship them. We need to worship God and God alone. And then it comes to possessions. And I don't know about you, I, I like my Starbucks and Chick-fil-A. I, I'm just down with that. I, I've got to have it. it. It's part of my routine. This thing rules my life most days. I, I've got to have that. I like my house. I like my car. I like the things that I have. And it's amazing to see how much the, the possessions and people tie into each other because sometimes we, we buy things we don't want with money we don't have. I, I think this is a Dave Ramsey thing. Buy things we don't want with money we don't have to impress people we don't necessarily like. And how many of us does that define? I mean, how many of us can say that that's been the defining factor of our lives? And, you know, when it, when it comes to a biblical example of this, when it comes to a a guy who just couldn't get over the possessions hump, you know, I, I'd like to bring to your attention the, the rich young ruler. And this is the story, without having to look it up. He talked to Jesus, and Jesus says, okay, follow me. And long story short, The passage ends with, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Ouch. He rejected Jesus for stuff. I mean, he he rejected Jesus for things that can catch fire. He traded the eternal for the temporary. And how many times do we do that? I, I was going to give to that missions project. I was going to give to that church planter. I was going to give to Sanctity of Life Sunday. I was going to give to this or I was going to give to that. And I was going to give so that the church could have a a nicer facility. But, you know, I've been saving up for that vacation. Or I've been saving up for that car or that house, and there's nothing wrong with having nice cars and nice houses. We just need to possess them for the glory of God and make sure that we own them and they don't own us. Because that is exactly what happened with the rich young ruler. He was owned by his possessions. He was owned by what this world had to offer. He was owned by the opinions of others. And, I mean, this is a radical way of living, folks. I mean, the fact that Jesus told this guy, don't worry about burying your own father, which is a huge no-no in Jewish culture, by the way. The Jewish patriarchy was very, very, very strongly enforced. And to say, don't even bother to honor him by a burial, follow me, that is radical. That is, I mean, that is crazy. But that is the measure of what God has called us to do. That is the measure of who God has called us to be. And it is an amazing, amazing journey that only God can do in you. One of the things we have to understand is that when we talk about this stuff, when we talk about following Jesus and seeking first his kingdom and allowing him to radically transform us, 
we are talking about something that, um, quite frankly, is impossible for us to do. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have this idea in America, especially it's an American idea, that whatever I need to accomplish can be accomplished by me, you know, pulling myself up by my own bootstraps and really just applying force of will to the problem. And I don't care how much force of will you can muster up. This world and your flesh and the devil are going to beat you every time. If you're just doing it in your own strength, if you've decided to bootstrap this thing and you said, by golly, I'm just going to do it. And I'm just going to, I'm going to follow God. Wherever he leads me, you know, I'm just going to do it of my own strength and of my own, of my own volition. And it's just going to be me doing this. You're going to fail every time. And what's awesome, like I was saying earlier, is that victory comes through surrender. Let me say that one more time, because if that's all you take away from today, that'd be awesome. Victory comes through surrender. And what's great about this is we don't have to do it. We just have to want to want to. That's one of the things I like to say. We have to want to want to follow Jesus. We have to want to want to seek first the kingdom of God. And so what that looks like is this. God, I can't do this. I'm yours. You've saved me. I've had contact with Jesus Christ through his shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection. I'm now spirit indwelt. And if you want this done, you're going to have to do it. Because I can't. And you get up every day. You know, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It is a day-by-day minute-by-minute pursuit of sacrificing the opinions of others, the possessions of this world, the positions of this world, and saying, Jesus, I want you and nothing else. Because apart from you, there is nothing else. But guess what, God? You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to be the one that takes me, breaks me, molds me, and makes me into the image of your son because this is too much for me. It is. It is way too much. When we start to delve into the depths of our own depravity, we figure out how reprehensibly loathsome we truly are. And we come face to face with the reality that without Jesus, it's nothing. Without Jesus, we cannot do this. And I think if we could get a hold of the concepts of Jesus doing it, of death starting life, of surrender, bringing our pathway to victory, of sacrificing, and really not really sacrificing, but trading those ones for tens and ones for thousands and, and, and becoming so totally and radically focused on Jesus, I think our communities would start to follow us. I think that they would see a value in us that only God can give, and we would see a work done across this country that can only be described as miraculous. Because we don't need another manufactured Christianity. We need Holy Spirit-filled, surrendered, completely sold-out Christianity that has given itself completely and totally over to God and said, God, please take me. Please use me. Please mold me. Please make me. And please break me. It is at that point that peace comes. And you say, okay, Chris, you've given us some examples of what the problem is you know you've given us an example of the positions and the possessions and the people that kind of interfere with our 
walk with Jesus. But what does it look like to walk with God? Does God give us any examples of that in Scripture? And I'm going to say yes, he does, which is merciful. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 and 20, it says, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And to me, verse 20 is one of the most convicting verses in all of Scripture. It said, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. They didn't say, Let me ask my community. They didn't say, We'll think about it. They didn't say, let me talk to the people in my life. They didn't say, that sounds great, but what's your 401k plan? They didn't say, you know, what's your health insurance plan? They didn't say, how much does this pay? They let their feet do the talking. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. They left their source of income. They left their livelihood. They left... What defined them? Because prior to them being disciples, if you were to walk up to Peter and introduce yourself, and I would say, hi, I'm Chris. I work for First Baptist of Lowburn. He would say, hi, I'm Peter, and I'm a fisherman. They left what defined them. They left their position. They left their possessions. They left the opinions of people that they once held dear. And they followed Jesus. They followed him without reservations, and the, the first word in verse number 20 just rocks my heart. It says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately. You know, how much equivocating do we do? How many times do we say, well, you know, let me, let me pray about that? Or, you know, we need to stop using prayer as a cop-out. I mean, let's, let's be honest with each other. We need to stop doing that. If I say, you know, let me pray about that and it's an opportunity for me to serve then the answer is yes, you don't have to pray about it. I mean, it's good to. You can say, God, help me to do this well, and God, help me to do this to your honor and glory, but the question of whether or not I do this has already been decided. And so we need to be people that immediately follow Jesus. And, you know, when you read chapter 11 of Hebrews, and we won't turn there, but when you read that, you come to the conclusion that these are people just like you and I who have the same fears, the same doubts, the same worries, the same concerns, but they have had a contact with Jesus unlike you and I have had, and they follow him without reservation. One of the stories in Hebrews chapter 11 that very much rocks me is the story of Abraham. When God called Abraham out of Ur, first of all, his dad was an idol maker for a living. That's what he did. He made idols. And I've always thought that was kind of ironic. God saw the son of an idol maker and said, sure, I'll take that guy. I mean, that's that's the way God works. I mean, look look at the apostle Paul. If if the Pharisees were a, a an American corporation, he would have been like the executive vice president of persecution. I mean, he was that guy. But God saw him. God saw Abraham said, okay, I'm going to make of him a great nation. He called him out to follow him. And the phrase that rocks me is this. He went out not knowing where he was going. Guys, we got to quit asking God for details. we got to quit asking God to lay out every step of the way. 
because one of the things we learn in this life is that it is not our talent and it is not our ability that God chooses us based off of. It's our surrender to him. And God does things in us and through us and for us so that we can have that journey with Jesus, so that we can have those relationship moments with Jesus Christ where we understand who he is and so that we can ultimately become like Jesus. Because that is the point of this life, is to become like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of God. And if he gave you your entire itinerary, if he gave you every step prior to you going out and doing something for him, then he would become irrelevant in the process. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I've kind of become obsessed with that passage, the steps of a good man. What does that mean? I mean, when we think of taking a trip, we think of getting in our car and driving to a location. But in Jesus' time and prior to that, they would think of lacing up the proverbial sandals and walking. And when you take one step, that is a directional step. When you take another one, it's another directional step. And God wants us to get to the point where we say, God, what is the next step? And he gives us this one. 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 Rather than, God, I need you to display your entire will to me. Because it is in taking that next step that we become more like Jesus. It is in taking that journey with Jesus that we become more like him. And it is those next step opportunities that allow us to get to know who Jesus Christ is. And what a beautiful thing that is. One of the issues that we come up against is that we have been, and, and I think there's, there's a lot of reasons behind this, but we've become people that are kind of held back by our fears. And we have a fear of failure. We have a fear of people. We have a fear of losing things. We have a fear of this. We have a fear of that. Did you know that 365 times in the Scripture God tells us not to fear? It's almost like we're going to have a fear every day, and he's going to address that one that day. And we've become what I call but-if people. But if I do that, I might not be able to provide for my wife and children. I might not be able to have the creature comforts. But if I do that, people will make fun of me. But if I do that, people will mock me and ridicule me. But if I do that, I will be uncomfortable, and I'll, I'll be riddled with anxiety and fear. But instead of being but-if people, what if we became what-if people? What if it works? You know, what if you invest in missions and thousands of people get saved as a result and the kingdom of God is expanded? What if you decide to go help that church planter or God decides in your heart that you're going on a foreign mission and God does something great and he shows up in the work that you do? What if you were to start that business for the glory of God and to impact your community and it takes off and you become successful? So my challenge to us this morning is threefold. Worship God and God alone. Get rid of the mentality of possessions. Get rid of possessions ruling your life. Get rid of the opinion of people ruling your life. Worship God and God alone and become what-if people. Become what if it works? 
You know, what if we were to see this place filled up again? What if we were to see God show up at Oxford Baptist Church and rock this community? What if that were to happen? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be awesome to be part of something like that? I mean, wouldn't it be totally worth anything that you could possibly ever have to give up to make that happen? I think it would. I think that having Jesus come down and in a radical way and just turn this place upside down for his glory would just be an awesome, awesome thing. And I, if I lived here, if I were a member here, I would, whatever I had to do to get, to make that happen, I would personally invest in. And one of the things that we have to understand is that why we're like this. I mean, in Luke chapter 9, it says, But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This is where it gets real. How many of y'all are married? How many married folks do we have here? Okay. Guys, I've been married for three, four years. My wife's in the back, she'll tell you. I'm not good with numbers. I suppose I should get that nailed down. I've been married for about three years, so and I, I don't come to you as an expert in this. But I know the basics. I mean, when I'm talking about basics, I'm talking about the, the bare bones, fundamental basics. And I don't. And ladies, feel free to respond if I'm wrong here. But Valentine's Day is coming up, and we're about to have the opportunity to be all romantic and gooey. And being romantic and gooey is great. It's awesome. I love romantic and gooey. In fact, I'm the romantic and gooey one in the relationship, believe it or not. And let's say that I make a reservation for my wife and I to go out to eat, which won't happen because we just had a six-week-old. You know, that's, we're probably going to do Chick-fil-A on the couch. But let's say I, I make a reservation to go out to eat. I tell her, order whatever you want, lobster, the shrimp scampi, and I know we're getting to lunch here in a minute. I, I apologize. Get your steak. Let's end it with a tiramisu and cappuccino. You know, let's just do this thing. And we're sitting at the table, and I've done everything right. I've hired a limo to pick us up and drop us off. I've picked up the nice flowers she likes. I've really just macked it out and done it right. And, you know, we get to the restaurant, and all of a sudden we're sitting there. It's over the candlelight dinner, and... I have a waitress walk by, and I turn my head to look at her. What's happened there? I'm dead is what happened there. All right. I, that'll be my last thing I'll do on earth. And then some lady gets up and uses the restroom, and I'm, I'm looking at her, and, you know, what's happened there? And my wife starts to complain. and It's like, well, why, why are you checking out other girls? What's happened here? What's going on, Chris? I thought you loved me. I thought you were intimately involved with me. I thought you were invested in me. I, th- I thought that, you know, we had this great thing going where we were in a covenant relationship, which means that your heart and your mind and your eyes belong to me. And I look at her and I'm like, well, what's the problem, babe? I made the reservations. I hired the limo. I picked up the flowers. You order the steak and lobster and shrimp and we're, we're having the, the, the tiramisu or the creme brulee. What, what's the problem here? I've done everything right. Here's the problem. My wife doesn't want steak and lobster. She wants a husband who loves her. And how many times do we treat God that way? When God says in his word in verse 62, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, that is exactly what he's warning us against. 
We may be laboring for him, but if our heart is not with him, we will always be looking over our shoulder. Whatever better offer might come along. And we're always seeking for that better offer. We're always trying to look for that next thing that's going to make us happy. And while God requires us to work and serve him, he wants our intimacy and he wants our love. So he wants our eyes firmly fixed on the cross. He wants our eyes firmly fixed on the person of Jesus. He wants our eyes completely and totally and radically and intimately fixed on him in a loving way, in a way that lets him know that we are totally and completely all about him in the same way that when I'm out with my wife on Valentine's Day, I need to be looking deeply into her beautiful brown eyes so that she knows I'm all about her. Because seeking first the kingdom of God is all about that intimacy that God wants us to have with him and conforming us to the person of Jesus Christ. So what's holding us back? What's holding you back? I know what held me back for a while. It took me to the ripe old age of 27 to surrender to Jesus to be in full-time vocational service. I know that I chased everything else. I was going to be a real estate agent, but I couldn't pass the class. Uh, (laughs) I, uh, I, I attempted political consulting, but I figured out that I wasn't very good at it. I tried to start several businesses, but they failed. I tried retail and come to find out wasn't detail oriented enough for that. And I literally chased everything I could think of to make Chris Williams a big deal and to provide for Chris Williams and to, to see that my ego was serviced. But God on Easter Sunday when I was 27 years old, I'm turning 34 next week, said, Chris, quit running. Where are your eyes? What are you looking at? What are you looking to to make you happy? Where's your intimacy? Where's that connection that I want to have with you? And I said, God, I I don't know where that is. He said, it's right here. I am able to do it through you and with you. I just need your complete and total surrender. I did that on Easter Sunday when I was 27. Haven't looked back since, and it has been well worth it. I mean, you get to sleep at night when you're following Jesus. You're not scared of things like you used to be when you're following Jesus. The song talks about the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I am a personal testimony as to that happening. And it has been an amazing, amazing journey. It has been a journey that has been completely and totally worth it. I stopped considering my possessions. I stopped considering my position. I stopped considering the, the, the opinion of the people around me. I became a what-if person, not a but-if person. And Jesus has been my friend ever since. Prior to that, he was my adversary. He was constantly trying to come against me, and he did so in love. I thought he was my adversary. But he came against me in love. He did war in my soul so that I was completely and totally exhausted and turned to him as a result. And it's a beautiful thing. If you've never had that opportunity of surrender, please don't leave today without doing that because it's worth it. It is absolutely and utterly worth it. It is utterly worth to seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. And don't be anxious for anything. God loves us. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. And I'm going to close us in prayer. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for allowing us to come around your word today. God, make us people of the book. Give us your heart and your desire. Allow us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Thank you for Oxford Baptist Church. Lord, give them a a season of growth and flourishing. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray God will use this message for his glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.